The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible uh, and open it to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. You can also follow along. We invite you to follow along in the YouVersion app. Um, we have an event for today uh, that's created just for all the things that we're going to talk about. Um, and while you're doing that, most Monday afternoons, we do this little thing that I call uh, pastor's review. And that's where we, we open up the text that we are going to preach on the following Sunday. And, and so one of us reads it and we just kind of discuss it for, for 20 or 30 minutes talking about What's happening in the text? What are some things that we feel that, uh, that God wants us to share uh, from the text with our, with our body? And this past week, if, and if you've read 1 Peter 3, um, I hope you've read 1 Peter 3. If you've read 1 Peter 3, it's, it's one of those texts that, that can make us, as we read it, with our 2023 uh, mindset. It's one of those texts where it just kind of, our, our stomach makes our stomach churn a little bit, and as we were as we were talking about that, um, I I said, well, we frequently place place the grid of our own cultural moment over what the Bible says, and when we do that, what we're doing is we're reading we're reading the Bible and we're giving it meaning that it where it doesn't belong, and I didn't really like that sentence, um, so we kind of talked a little bit more more about it, and one of the things that that I do on Wednesday nights here. At Westway, as I teach a, I teach a, a class on how to how to read and study the Bible for transformation. And over the past several weeks, we've used three uh, three Bible college nerd words um, to kind of describe the way that we read the Bible. And the first of those words, it's it's called exegesis. And an exegesis, when we exegete the scripture, what we do is we read and study it, and we try to understand what it meant to the original author. Okay, so we're going to read the text. We want to know what it meant to the original author. We spend a lot of time talking about all of those background informations on Sunday mornings. The second word that we talk about on Wednesday nights, and we're going to talk about it now, is hermeneutics. And here's what hermeneutics means. What, what does it mean here and now? Right, so I read the Bible, and I have to figure out what I'm going to do with it. How do I interpret it? How do I study it? And then there's the third word uh, that we don't like. And the third word is eisegesis. And this one is a little bit harder uh, to, to explain and, and help other people understand. And again, my try was we frequently place the grid of our own cultural moment over what the Bible says. And what we're really doing is reading the Bible and giving it meaning where it doesn't belong. And again, like I don't, I don't like that statement. It's really long. It's really kind of convoluted. And I wasn't really happy with it. And then uh, this past week, I think on Tuesday, over the lunch hour, what I do on Tuesday, our youngest son, John, has a YouTube channel. And I'm not just promoting his YouTube channel. Um, hashtag 8mm man. Um, so so he, has, he has his own YouTube channel. And he is, he's like really into gun culture. And he has a YouTube channel where he talks about this. And in this video, in last week's video, he was reviewing this movie. Um, it's called All Quiet on the Western Front. Maybe you read that book when you were in high school. Uh, there have been several different movies uh, made about it. It's a World War I movie. 
And Netflix has just remade this movie for the third time. And John was talking about in this video, he was talking about why he did not like the third, the newest updated version of the movie. And this is what he said. What the writers and directors did was they took a story that someone else had written and they told the story they wanted to tell. And as I'm watching this video, I'm like, that's eisegesis. See, this is, this is what we do when we read the Bible. This is what we t- are tempted to do when we read the Bible. Are we reading the story that the author is telling, in this case, Peter, or are we reading the story that we want to tell? Does that make sense? Like which, as we're reading this text, which, which story do we want to read? Which story do we want to tell? Which story do we want to share? And if, if you read, again, if you read 1 Peter 3 this week, you kind of know where I'm going with this. So let's read 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7. And I'm going to read it like I read it in rehearsal this morning. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her master, her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. See, my guess is that about half of you in the room this morning, and I don't know how many of you are watching online, about half of you, when I read that very first verse, your thought was to get offended. That was your very first response. I got offended. And the other half, you were immediately nervous. Right? Like, what, what are we going to talk about in this text? In the same way, your wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Like, in our 2023 years, like, can we agree that that's offensive? Can we agree that that makes us a little bit nervous? And here's why. Here's why. Because what you are doing, when, 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 when we read this text and we have this initial gut response, what you're doing is you are laying the grid of our own cultural moment on top of the text. What you're doing is, is you are viewing this from the eyes of people. I'm going to use a couple words, and, this, and if you thought that was offensive, this might be more offensive, but I'm going to use the words because I wrote them down. Here's, here's why we're offended, okay? Because we have been so inculcated by conversations of equality, by conversations of rights, by the modern feminism movement that you can hardly see straight. 
And I said that word feminism, and some of you just lost your mind. And I chose that word on purpose. And I'm not using it to belittle anyone. I'm not using it to belittle anything. And the question that we have to ask when we read a text like this, this is, this is the question. Am I reading the story that Peter wants to tell? Or am I reading the story that I want to tell? Am I reading the story that I have been inculcated? Am I I reading the story that everything about my culture says is wrong about this? Like, which of those two stories am I reading? This is why we need to remember that this letter that Peter wrote wasn't written to us. In fact, it says that in 1 Peter 1.1. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, if we're not careful, we're going to read this text and and, and our lens, our grid, is going to be our own cultural moment. And we're going to be offended by everything that's taking place. We have to remember that Peter is writing this letter to a group of people who are facing persecution for their faith. Trouble for their faith. What he's doing is he's telling Christians of of different groups how to interact with people who aren't Christians. If you remember this from last week, like what happens if there's a non-Christian in authority over me? What's Peter's instruction? Submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed. Doesn't say conform, it says submit. At the end of chapter 2, what happens if, if I, as a slave, I'm a Christian slave, and I report to a non-Christian master? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to have a slave uprising? Am I supposed to dump his wine in his lap every time I feed him a meal? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? No. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel, you might suffer for doing good. That's just what Jesus did. What if I'm a Christian and my husband isn't? Accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some of them refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. See what What Peter is talking to is here, he's talking to Christian women who are married to non-Christians. This is how you're going to win him over. Not by gossiping, not by backbiting, not by rejecting him. And what we want to do is, we want to make these verses talk about things that they're just not talking about. Now, there are real issues. Got to be, we have to be honest There are abusive situations that people find themselves in, and no one is saying to remain in those. In fact, last year, when we talked about Mark chapter 10, we we spent an entire message talking about, like, what do I do if I'm in this situation? Right? You should leave, and we'll help. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. What if I'm a Christian and my wife isn't? Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She might be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayer life will not be hindered. 
See, one of the things we want to do is we want to teach you how to read the Bible. And to not, to not read a sentence like that very first one in 1 Peter 3 and read it and like immediately close, close down and shut down. Because that's not what Peter is talking about. And if we're not careful, like we're just going to, we're going to look at it through our own grid. And we miss what God is doing. These verses aren't about equality. They're not about keeping other people down. If I'm an employer, this doesn't mean I can use these verses to keep my employees down. When Ann and I are having a disagreement about something, and notice I said when, not if. When Ann and I have an agree- a disagreement about something, you know what I don't do? I don't open my Bible to 1 Peter 3 and start reading the text to her. I know better than that. And if you're married, if you're female, like this is your Christianity and your spouse's unchristianity doesn't give you license to treat him poorly because of that. Doesn't give you the right to do that. And the thing is, if, if we're not careful, and I, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to beat this into you today. <laughs> If there's anyone trying to beat anything into you, it's, it's, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to beat in you how to read the Bible today. See, if we're not careful, what, what's going to happen is we're going to get so wrapped up in what Peter is not saying that we'll miss what he is saying. And it's easy to do. It's so simple to make happen. And that's why we've got we to gotta step back, right? We need, to, we need to remember. And each of these Each of these words are placed into a larger text. This is one of those chapters, I said this last week, that the person who divided the the chapter verse um, in 1 Peter, I think just did a terrible job. Because what this person did was he separated this wives and husbands thing from what happened beforehand. And remember, what Peter is doing is he's telling these Christians, he's telling them, look, you live in a society that is coming against you. And right now, it's just your friends and your neighbors and the people you used to run with when you used to live lives of sinfulness. And you need to know how to act in that system. Again, the way we as Christians usually think about that, right? How do I, how am I in the world but not of the world? How do I behave amidst a crooked generation? And what Peter's doing is he's telling them, this just fits right in line. What God is after is a particular kind of people. God is after something deeper than just, than just conforming to what the culture says. Because if you are a non-Christian slave in this day and age, and you didn't want to obey your master, what you would do is you'd get together with all of your other slaves and you would have a slave slave uprising. And then you would all die. Because that's what happened. If you are a non-Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband and you don't agree, what you're going to do is you're going to go and tell all your little friends about it. And you're going to gossip. If you are a non-Christian male who doesn't like his non-Christian wife, you know what he's going to do? Divorce. 
Christians are called to live something different. And again, if, if we're not careful, we will miss all of that because of the way we so often read the Bible together. So what, what is God after? What kind of people is God calling his people to be? Let's read starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. As I'm reading through this, I want us to notice Peter's, Peter's not just telling the Christians, because remember, this is to Christians. This isn't to non-Christians. This is to Christians. He's not just saying, be unified. He's saying, demonstrate unity. Demonstrate unity. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. That's what it means to demonstrate unity to sympathize with one another. He doesn't just say, be humble. It's demonstrate humility. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them black, pay them back with a blessing. It's Peter, God, through Peter, is after people being something different. People demonstrating lives that are, that are proof of, of what Jesus has done for them in the way that they treat other people. That's the proof. It's, it's not found, our proof is, is not found in making sure we're good Bible readers and we read the Bible every day of our lives. Although that's a really good thing and I think you should do that. The proof that we love God is not that we pray. Although I think you should pray. See, the proof that we are lovers of God is the way that we treat one another. It's the way that we treat other followers of Christ. In the hopes that people who aren't Christians will see that, will see us treating one another in a certain way. 
and then desire to be a part of it. And like the craziest thing about this, remembering that, that this is about Christians, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. What that means is you're going to have Christians who insult you. Have you ever been insulted by another Christian? Have you ever been insulted by another Christian in this room? She's sitting in front of me. (laughs) And I'm standing in front of her. This isn't... Like, this is a... This is a recognition. And this is what I love about this. This is what I love about the Bible. Sometimes, Sometimes we tend to look at the Bible and we think it's like this... What I wrote down was pie in the sky, gumdrops and lollipops kind of world. Right? Where it's painting, it's painting such a beautiful picture that's absolutely impossible for us to attain. And then we're like, there's no way we're ever going to measure up to that. See, Peter is addressing something that he knows what happens. He knows that when you get a bunch of people together, whether they're Christians or not, they're going to say and do stupid things. We just are. We're humans. We're, even as Christians, we're, we're in the process of being transformed, right? We're just, we're just not all there yet. Like, we're justified. We can have full confidence in what Jesus has done for us. We can have full faith in what Jesus has done for us. We can rest in what Jesus has done for us. And, like, we're all still works in progress, right? I, I am sure in the next seven days, I'm going to say something to insult my wife. Won't be on purpose, and it won't matter. Just sometimes it's what we do. And the way that we respond is the difference maker. That's it. That's, that's the change. It's the way that we respond. We just started, um, we just started watching The Chosen Season 3 last night. Um, I don't know why we waited, but we did. Um, but we, we just started watching Chosen, th- Chosen, Chosen, Chosen 3 Friday night. Watched the first episode last night. We watched the second episode. And I noticed something that's really different. I don't remember, I don't remember the, the guard's name, but it's the guard that was with Matthew. Gaius, thank you. What I've noticed is like he has softened. Like from season two to season three, like something happened in his story. And I think what's happened in his story is he was around Christians who demonstrated what it was like to be Christians. And I'm excited for his story, like I have in my own mind where I think that dude's going to end up. But see, what happens is when non-Christians watch Christians not respond to one another in anger and not respond to one another in bitterness, and not play this game where we dogpile on other Christians. I, they're affected by that. Things change when that happens. And again, like Peter says, now who will want to harm you if you are if you're eager to do good? I kind of think that's a sarcastic question. Like if you just read it on its own, like how many of you have been harmed when you've tried to do something good? Like, we all have. So the kind of the logical answer to that question is, well, 
Who would want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, somebody. And again, it's not gumdrops and lollipops because there's lots of people who suffer for doing what's right. And while he doesn't say it yet, you know who the ultimate example of the person who suffered for doing right was? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Right? It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. That's what Peter is telling these Christians as their culture is is ramping up to come against them and bring persecution that we only read about. Persecution is coming and he says, don't be afraid. And Peter can say this. Of all people, Peter can say this. In Acts chapter 4, there's this scene where John and Peter get arrested. And they are brought before the very same group of people who had tried Jesus. They are brought before the very same group of people who found Jesus guilty. They are brought before the same group of people who sent Jesus off to be executed. Can you imagine what that would have been like for a second? If they killed Jesus and now I'm standing in front of them, what, what would I do? What should I say? They have the power to kill me. And what this group does is they command Peter and John to stop speaking the name of Jesus. They command Peter and John to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And this is, this is one of those awesome moments in Peter's life. Right? The same guy, when, when he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses, says, should we build tents for everybody? The same guy who's brash and his, his brain gets ahead of him says this, do you think God wants to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. I know what power, now this is Mulholland paraphrase. I know what power you have over us. You can kill us. We have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And you think we're not going to tell people about that? We're not afraid of you. There's nothing you can do. And the question that we have to ask is, like, Peter's ready for this moment. Peter's ready for it. Are we ready for it? And not like in a way that we've thought it out and planned it out. But are we ready? Are we ready to boldly proclaim the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us? This is, this is what we're being told as we read this text. Because culture is, like you know it, culture is coming against us. I usually don't talk about things this way. Like, like we've, you may, this may be a surprise to some of you. I kind of think we've lost the culture war. It's over. We've lost so here's what we ought to do. Rather than try and fight a battle that's over, why don't we fight the battle that's already been won? 
and proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. And live in a certain way. And maybe we can bring some of the casualties of that battle, of that lost battle, along with us. I think that's our mission. To proclaim the truth. And God can do great things. I believe that. But what it's going to take is Christians living out their lives. It's not, it's not praying for something to happen somewhere else. It's praying for God to do a work in us. And understanding what that work is. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life. See, what he's doing is what he did in 1 Peter 1. He's recognizing the reality of their circumstances. And then he's saying, yeah, but look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And where so many of us get caught up in this is like we're so focused on our circumstances. We're so inwardly focused. We're so selfish that we can't see what Jesus is doing. And if this sounds impossible, it's only impossible because we don't look at Jesus. It's only impossible because we don't look to God. We focus on ourselves. Here's verses 18 through 22. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring, them sa- to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Do you see how Peter is telling us to look to Jesus? This is what Jesus has done. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clear conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. I know some of you are so pumped to talk about Jesus talking to spirits in heaven, in in prison. And let's just say this. We have no idea what he's talking about. I hate, to, I hate to tell you that. This is one of those things where we have, where we have a letter that's written 2,000 years ago to a group of people who aren't us. Right? And they would have read this and they would have known exactly what Peter was talking about. Wouldn't that be great? to know exactly what Peter is talking about. Like there's, there's a ton of confusion about all of this. And this is one of those things where if we're not careful, this requires discipline on our part. If we're not careful, we're going to read this and this will be the rabbit hole that some of you this week will spend hours on. And maybe you spent hours on it 
last week because you read the text and you're like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? But we don't want to skip. We don't want to get so caught up in what Peter is saying that we, we skip the unity and we skip the humility and we skip the behaviors that we are supposed to demonstrate to those who don't know Christ. But it is in the text. We have to do something with it. So in today's version event, I put kind of a, here's like three things that theologians kind of believe about this. And, and I'm just going to read these three things. Okay? Admittedly, these people know way more about this stuff than I do. And frankly, this isn't a rabbit trail that I'm very interested in. So I spend a little bit of time on it. One interpretation holds that it refers to the spirits of people who have died and that Christ, after his resurrection, preached the good news to these spirits. Okay? So everyone who died before Jesus, Jesus went down and he preached the good news to them. However, the idea that people might hear the good news and respond after their deaths is found nowhere else in the New Testament. And this meaning of spirits is not the most likely. Okay? So that's what some theologians believe. Jesus went to wherever he went, wherever all of those people that died were, and he preached the good news to them, and some of them responded positively. A second interpretation sees 3, 19 to 20 as describing Christ's preaching through Noah, through, through Noah to people who are now spirits in prison. This interpretation does justice to 320, but doesn't fit well in the discussion of Christ's death and resurrection. Here's the third interpretation. The spirits in prison are evil spiritual beings. Jewish tradition, based on Genesis 6, 1 to 3, held that many angels fell in the time of Noah. Peter's point would then be that Christ proclaimed his victory over the evil spiritual powers after his resurrection. Those are kind of the big three things. You can read those. You can pick yours. And what I would encourage you to do is to not let this distract you from the mission and the purpose of Christians. As I was thinking about this, we just sort of skim the text. This is... This is the paraphrase, and this is, this is kind of what I'm telling myself. Jesus went somewhere where people were imprisoned, and he preached to them. Those who listened were saved and delivered through the means of water. And that water symbolizes the water of baptism. The water in and of itself has no power. It's only because of the resurrection of Jesus that it, the water, is effective. Right, so Jesus, Jesus went to people who were in prison and he shared with them the good news. As we kind of talked about this in Pastor's Review, like what if, what if the people that were in prison were the people who were alive during Jesus' time and they were in prison by their sin? And Jesus comes and he speaks to them, giving them a message of salvation. See, I can kind of ascribe to that. That's not one of those three things. What if... Like Jesus, speaking to a group of people who have no idea who God is, what if we as Christians get to speak 
to a group of people who are imprisoned by their sin. And we get to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. And then when they decide to make that decision, when they make that choice to follow Jesus, they would be baptized. Not because there's anything special in the water. I love the way Peter talks about this. Not because there's anything special in the water. There's nothing magical in the water. When we fill the baptistry, it comes from the city of Scotts Bluff. That's where it comes from. There's not, a, there's not something on the pipeline that says Holy Spirit. It just comes from the city. There's nothing magical that happens because of the water. The spiritual thing happens because of Christ's resurrection. And one of the things that I, I process this text, we, we ask this question, and I've had this question asked of me a million times in the six years that I've been here in Scotts Bluff. You have to be baptized to be saved. You have to be baptized to be saved. You have to be baptized to be saved. Man, I just don't. Like, I just don't know what to do with verse 21. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from the clean conscience. If you're asking me, does going under Scotts Bluff City water do anything for your salvation? The answer is no, it doesn't. If you are asking me, if going under the water that comes from Scott's Bluff because of what Jesus has done saves you? The answer to that question is yes. And that's not my answer. That's this answer. Maybe, maybe that causes us discomfort. Maybe that causes us frustration. And here's what I would tell you. Stop laying your grid of cultural understanding over what the Bible says. Scripture tells us to humbly accept the word which can save you. What that means is I don't have to understand everything that goes on in it. But I do have to accept it. And what we see at the end of 1 Peter 3 is we see that Jesus is vindicated. See, what happened to Jesus when he did all of these things, when he suffered for doing right, as he was vindicated, he was lifted up. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities in power accept his authority. So our question is, what's, what's our response? Right? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this text? Well, if you are not a Christian, this text as it for you, it's really simple. You need to be saved. And the way to do that, according to what Peter says, is to be baptized. Not because of the water, but because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus does the saving, and the water is simply the means. I don't know how it works. That's what Peter is telling us. And if you are a Christian, if I'm a Christian and I read this text, what, what am I to do with this text? I think there are two questions. How are you going to respond to people who don't treat you well because you're a Christian? What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do when you face persecution? What are you going to do when your friend or your neighbor or your coworker says something about you because you are a follower of Christ? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? Second question, how are you going to respond when life happens? When that thing that you don't want to have happen in your life, when it happens, how are you going to respond? Are you going to look inward? Are you going to wallow in your circumstance? Like, that's what our culture does. Focus on ourselves, or are you going to look up? And the answer is, focus on Jesus. If you want to know what to do, and this is, again, not pie in the sky, not gumdrops and lollipops. The answer is focus on Jesus. Worship Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Trust God. Live faithfully. And be ready to explain why. So when you're doing that crazy thing of not engaging the crazy conversation and someone asks you why, just tell them about Jesus. Because I don't place my hope in that. I don't place my trust in that. Like I used to be that way. This is not who I am now. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you have put things in your word that are easy for us to understand, that are easy for us to grasp. And those things call for our obedience. And I'm grateful for things that you put in your word that are difficult for us to understand, that are difficult for us to grasp. And those things demand that we effort understanding but not at the expense of who we are supposed to be as people. God, I pray over each and every one of us that we would see you at work. We would be the kind of people that you are calling us to be. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.